0: Hello. It's good to be back. Thank you to everyone who sent messages of condolence. I'm sorry if I did not reply directly. I do appreciate it. I know a lot of people are losing people at the moment, and I know that living through a significant historical period is not fun. Interesting times, indeed. Also, to everybody out there fighting against injustice To everyone out there fighting against racial prejudice and authoritarianism in the United States, I want to say solidarity, keep up the good work, and Black Lives Matter. Now, a while ago, I said I was not going to do topical content on this show, but right now, um, I don't think anybody needs to hear about the War of 1812. That is an interesting topic. I am going to come back to it at some point, but Right now, I want to do stuff that matters. Uh, I had two episodes written for a comeback that didn't feel right to release right now, so I'm going to hold on those. and for the time being, I want to produce things that speak to the moment we're in. And that includes this episode, which is about Juneteenth. and it will also include episodes for the foreseeable future. Don't worry, we'll get to the War of 1812, we'll come back eventually. But right now, I want to use this platform to talk about things that are a little more important. Here we go. Welcome to the Weird History Podcast. I'm Joe Streckers. This podcast is independent and ad-free because of your listener support. Become a listener supporter by going to weirdhistorypodcast.com. Today is Juneteenth. Now, if you are African American and listening to this, you probably know that Juneteenth is something that you're probably familiar with via your family, community, etc. However, if you, like me, are not African American, I imagine that Juneteenth is something new to you. And Juneteenth has been getting quite a lot of press here in 2020, so I wanted to take a few moments to talk about one of America's most significant and under-celebrated holidays. So what is Juneteenth? Well, slavery in the United States did not end all at once. The Emancipation Proclamation went into effect in January of 1863, but by June of 1865, there were still people enslaved In the former Confederacy. In June of 1865, the Emancipation Proclamation was over two years old, the Confederacy had in fact surrendered, Abraham Lincoln was dead, and also American states were on their way to ratifying the 13th Amendment, which would ban official slavery in the United States. And yet, some people in the old Confederacy were still enslaved. Now, there were two reasons for this. One reason was just a lack of effective communication technology. This is 1865 we're talking about. We don't even have railroads all over the United States yet. So part of this is just an issue of needing to go out into the hinterlands and clean up the remaining slavery that is still happening. But that's not all of it. It was also the case that toward the end of the Civil War, particularly after the Union Army took New Orleans in 1862, that many slave owners in the South specifically moved their operations westward, out to Texas, where they could avoid the Union Army for just a little bit longer. There was a concerted effort by landowners and slave owners to think that Maybe they could get away with slavery for just slightly longer if they were doing it out of the way, where they couldn't be found. Maybe they could carry on the peculiar institution without anyone noticing. But of course, that's not what happened. The Union Army did in fact send out somebody to go clean up the former Confederacy and make sure that nobody was doing a slavery when they were not supposed to be doing it. The task of cleaning up the last vestiges of American slavery, even after the Civil War was over, fell to Major General Gordon Granger of the Union Army. It was his job to roll around isolated areas of Texas and say, Hi, we're just here to tell you that the Confederate States of America is over, that your army lost, that slavery, the basis for your pseudo-feudal agrarian economy, isn't a thing anymore. Also, if you think you can hide out in isolated areas and do slavery and pretend civil war is still happening, then you can't. Stop it. And honestly, sounds like kind of a fun job. On June 19th, 1865, Granger, along with 2,000 Union troops, got around to Galveston, Texas, the region with the last people in the United States who were still officially enslaved, and who had not heard about the end of legal slavery. And on that day, June 19th, Granger proclaimed freedom in Galveston. Not that Granger's proclamation was all that celebratory. It read, The people of Texas are informed that, in accordance with a proclamation from the executive of the United States, all slaves are free. This involves an absolute equality of personal rights and rights of property between former masters and slaves, and a connection heretofore existing between them becomes that between employer and hired labor. The freedmen are advised to remain quietly at their present homes and work for wages. They are informed that they will not be allowed to collect at military post, and they will not be supported in idleness, either there or elsewhere." Unquote. Basically, hey, you're not slaves anymore. Get a job. Now, of course, the United States' decision to end slavery but not allow for adequate economic or material improvements in the life of formerly enslaved persons was, in retrospect, a pretty bad deal. After all, these were people who'd spent their lives creating wealth with their labor, but getting essentially nothing for it. And... They would still get essentially nothing for all the wealth they had created, and now, with nothing, would have to work wage labor, would paid them next to nothing. But nevertheless, this was important. Enslaved people in the United States during slavery were not legally persons. They didn't have rights in a legal sense, and now at least they did when Major General Granger got to Galveston, over 250,000 people were still enslaved, out of the eyes of the Union Army. Suddenly, that population of a quarter million people could no longer be legally treated as property. Now, formerly enslaved people remembered this day, and June 19th, which came to be called Juneteenth, was celebrated as a major summer holiday in Texas after that with cookouts, gatherings, fancy clothes, and parades. And, toward the end of the 1800s, celebrations of Juneteenth, while not commonplace, were fairly well known in various African American population centers, mainly in Texas but also in other areas in the South, celebrating the day where the last enslaved people in the United States, became not enslaved people. However, celebrations of Juneteenth did wane as more formerly enslaved people died off, and also as the Jim Crow era took hold at the end of the 1800s and at the start of the 1900s. In a lot of ways, by the way, that era, the end of the 1800s and the start of the 1900s, is one of the worst eras in the United States in terms of race relations, but that's a topic for another time. However, the Jim Crow era and the worst era for race relations in the United States was not able to do away with Juneteenth. It seems to have had a resurgence starting in the 19-teens. In her book, The Warmth of Other Suns, author Isabel Wilkerson explores America's great migration. That is, the movement of African American populations from the South to the rest of the country. And I'm going to quote Wilkerson at length with how she describes the spread of Juneteenth. She describes Juneteenth spreading in a lot of the same way that immigrant traditions from Europe also spread throughout the United States in the early 1900s. However, this was not an immigrant population spreading cultural traditions throughout the United States. This was a population from a particular region spreading a tradition throughout the United States. Also, in this passage, there is some antiquated racial language, but I am going to quote it verbatim. Here's Wilkerson. She writes, As best they could, people brought the old country with them. In the New World, that is, in cities outside the South, they surrounded themselves with the people they knew from the next farm over, or their daily vacation Bible school from their clapboard holiness churches, from the colored high schools or the corner store back home, and they would keep those ties for as long as they lived. The ones from the country fired their shotguns into the night air on New Year's Eve like they did back home in Georgia and Mississippi, and ate black-eyed peas and rice for good luck on New Year's Day. The people from Texas took Juneteenth Day to Los Angeles, Oakland, Seattle, and other places they went. Even now with barbecues and red soda pop, they celebrate June 19th, 1865, the day Union soldiers rode into Galveston, announced that the Civil War was over, and released a quarter million slaves in Texas who, not knowing they had been freed, had toiled for two and a half years after the Emancipation Proclamation. Whole churches and social rituals in North and West would be built around certain towns or entire states. Well into the 1900s, at the Bridge Street Church in Brooklyn, for instance, when people from South Carolina were asked to stand and make themselves known, half the flock would rise to its feet. To this day, people still wear sequins and bow ties to the annual Charleston Ball in Washington, where a good portion of the Carolinas went. It turned out they were not so different from Sicilians, settling in Little Italy, or Swedes in Minnesota." So what Wilkerson is saying is that Juneteenth celebrations also had an element of cultural continuity with Southern traditions, African American communities moving from one region to another, but even though they are changing cities, they are still connected to their prior region and prior traditions, like many other mobile populations tend to be. Juneteenth celebrations had another uptick in the late 1960s and into the 1970s, and after about 1968, the holiday became much, much more widely known. Now, we can't say why after 1968 it became so much more popular, but speaking to Smithsonian Magazine in 2009, African American folklorist William Wiggins Jr. theorized on why Juneteenth had a resurgence in the late 1960s and early 1970s. He linked it to the American Civil Rights Movement, and activism in the months following the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. Wiggins said, quote, When Dr. King had the Poor People's March, and Ralph Abernathy promised King, who died April 4th, 1968, that this march would be completed, and it was. So they made it to Washington, and they set up a camp on the Mall. Everything that could go wrong did, and they had to leave at the end of the summer. So how can you leave with some sense of honor? It was late June, and there were people from all different states in that village for that summer, so they had a group from Texas, and someone said, why don't we have a Juneteenth celebration, which, again, is a way to address poverty and freedom and hearkening back to our past. They had this closing celebration, which was held on that day, and a large number of entertainers performed. My theory is that these delegates for the summer took that idea of the celebration back to their respective communities. So I know, for example, there was one in Milwaukee, and, looking at a newspaper after that summer, they started having regular Juneteenth celebrations. The Chicago Defender had an editorial that it should be a regular idea. My feeling is that because it was used to close the Poor People's Campaign, that the idea and so forth was taken back by different participants in that march, and it took root around the country. It has taken on a life of its own." Unquote. So Juneteenth, at the very end of the 60s and in the 1970s, became much more popular and much more spread around. But it was still not an official holiday, not until 1979, when it became an official holiday in, fittingly enough, Texas. Al Edwards, an African-American state representative from Houston, pushed to have the day officially recognized in its home state. And in 1980, Texas officially recognized Juneteenth as a state holiday. Over the next three decades, over 40 other states and the District of Columbia would follow suit, though Juneteenth still isn't a federal holiday. Of course, after June 19, 1865, the United States found new ways to replicate slavery in all but name. Systems of sharecropping exploited African American labor, and prison labor that exploited a largely black population persisted. Actually, not persisted, persist. There is still slavery-esque prison labor in the United States now, but that is a topic for another time. But ending official, legal, recognized slavery was important. Massively important. It was An enormous step toward equality. Striking a blow against slavery, against domination, against exploitation, against dehumanization, and against injustice is something worth celebrating. It is not sufficient for justice, but it was a necessary step toward justice. Also, Juneteenth is a reminder that transformations, unfortunately, don't happen all at once. Ending official slavery in the U.S. took a long time, and it took a lot of effort. There was pushback. Slaveholders tried to escape to Texas. They tried to dodge responsibility. They tried to carry out injustice where people couldn't find them, and it was someone's job to find them. And it took two and a half years to do so, over 2,000 Union soldiers to do so, and even after June 19, 1865, the mayor of Galveston tried to and failed to basically restart slavery. Ending the social, economic, and political results of official slavery in the U.S. is an ongoing concern and change is hard and change is slow, but change is real. Slavery once seemed like an inevitable and necessary part of the American economy and social, and political fabric, until on June 19th, 1865, it officially wasn't. That's worth celebrating. Happy Juneteenth.